are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome one, welcome all, except you, Dave, you know what you did, but to everybody else, welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And of course, I want to shout out the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. It's that time of year, everybody. Your draft is right around the corner, and it's time to start studying up Locked On Fantasy Football with Vinny Iyer has you covered. Giving you the edge you need to win your league this year. Today we have a jam-packed show, so I'm going to dive right into it. We've got three story time series, including probably my favorite one on the whole roster, which is Mackenzie Alexander's, but also Josh Metellus and Kyle Hinton. But first... I guess we got to talk about vaccines again. So this is important. The uh, NFL released their policy about like COVID-19 outbreaks. Basically, if your team has a COVID outbreak and they can't field enough of a roster to do the game, they're not going to and they can't reschedule the game. That's important, which we never got to that point last year. That team has to forfeit the game and nobody on either team gets their game checks, which is kind of a huge deal. And that sent a lot of players into a huge tizzy. Uh, a lot of players, Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, a number of B- Buffalo Bills uh, all kind of came out and said, well, this is terrible. You know, vaccines should be a personal choice and that whole thing. We've already kind of talked about vaccines and the kind of illusion of choice and freedom and if your freedom and versus the, the freedom you might take away from somebody else. And so I guess all I'll do is reemphasize a point I made in that conversation, which is if you are somebody who tells people a lot, you know, well, just do your own research. Do you believe everything you ever hear? Uh, that's fair. And I think do your own research and think for yourself and all that. That's all great. But to a certain degree, when it comes to matters of science, unless we're the people with the lab coats on doing these the studies ourselves, eventually we have to take someone's word for it, whether that's Oxford University or the CDC or, uh, you know, Aunt Terry's Facebook memes, we are taking someone's word on something. And I think we just should be careful about who that is. So I guess, I don't know, think about where you got your information, where you got the ideas that you have in the first place, where you heard them, who you took them from, and ask yourself why you're trusting that over something else that might be more or less reputable. I think that's just a good thought experiment to do. Check on yourself every once in a while. But as it actually pertains to availability of football players, Um, essentially there's kind of no excuse. Here's the thing. This is exactly the way it worked last year. It just has like a way different tone last year. If you couldn't field a team and the game couldn't be rescheduled, they would have to forfeit. And we almost went there a couple of times. Tennessee almost had to forfeit a game. I think it was the bills almost had to forfeit a game. And ultimately they managed to reschedule all of them. I don't know if there will be as much goodwill as there was last year to put up Sunday game on a Tuesday or something. If there is a problem with a COVID-19 outbreak or something like that. And of course, you know, the players were also really upset about that too. Pittsburgh Steelers didn't really get a bye week. They practiced all week leading up to a game that was supposed to be with the Tennessee Titans and then didn't play that game and then had to reschedule that game for what would have been their bye week. So they didn't really get a week of rest like the rest of the league did. And the fact that they kind of ran out of gas in the playoffs might 
really be due to that. They had less rest than everybody else. Like, this really had an effect on things. And I don't know if there's going to be as much goodwill in the league, but it seems like everything is still um, going to work the same way. And uh, if you can't field a team, you can't win. And that is, I think, the, the tough part is, say, you know, the Vikings play the Bears, and let's say the Bears have a big outbreak. The Vikings would get the W, they'd get a forfeit, but none of the Vikings would get their game checks. And so that might put a lot of, like, uh, internal pressure between players to say, no, you know, get your vaccination, get yourself, make sure that you're not the person who comes to work and gets everybody else sick, which has been an eternal dick move since the dawn of time. But enough about all that. Uh, let's instead shift over to the Storytime series. I want to start with Kyle Hinton. Kyle Hinton actually played as a young high school player in Vilsack, Germany. He was an army, army base kid, not unlike Patrick Jones, who played on an army base in Japan. Uh, but in Kyle Hinton's last couple of years, he transferred to high school in the States, and he actually liked defense better, but his coaches thought he would be better on offense, and he's not the kind of guy to make any waves about that. He's a very much, you know, just do what they think is best and follow instructions, that kind of militaristic deference to hierarchy, no problems with authority here. Uh, and... The thing is, it's tough to get noticed on that when you're playing a position that you're not necessarily as familiar with because you've split your time. You did an army base thing, so you don't have a lot of exposure. So he doesn't get any D1 buzz. Uh, but Washburn's coaches were actually dropping by his high school in Peoria, Arizona to, to scout someone else. And uh, Kyle Hinton catches their eye during that visit. And so they start the pitch. And Washburn is the only school that makes like a true one on one effort, which Kyle Hinton ends up appreciating. So he chooses Washburn. Washburn. And at Washburn, he wasn't limited to just football. He did multi-sports stuff, uh, including discus or weight throw. And he really, really likes weight throw. And he kind of compares the two as uh, kind of similar biomechanics. You know, it's about torque and it's not about being the biggest, it's about being the most explosive. Um, and there's actually a, a couple of really fun stories about him, like breaking stuff inside before the they... Uh, take practices outside like early in the season he's like breaking wooden backstops and stuff because he's just such a like powerful guy but look i mean he's a d2 offensive lineman uh washburn is not going to get you a lot of nfl hype he does get a few calls and he actually communicates with the vikings a lot so he kind of thought the vikings were going to draft him uh so there he is on saturday of the draft it's a zoom draft he's surrounded by family and stuff um and he kind of sees it coming you know saturday is starting to wind down but about the end of the seventh round you sort of expect to have gotten your call by now. Um, and so kind of back half of the seventh round, he's starting to feel like that's usually when now if your phone rings, it's an undrafted free agent deal. And that's when the Vikings call and they say, no, we're not going to sign you as a free agent. You're going 253rd out of 255. He's the third to last player to go in the draft. Vikings are taking him. And that is kind of where things got more challenging. Of course, it's 2020. No preseason, limited offseason. That means limited opportunities. It's tough for him to make the team. And so now... This is where he has to kind of come in and crack it. When you're a seventh round pick, you're pretty much guaranteed a practice squad slot and a second crack at the roster if you don't make it in the first place. But now he has to kind of crack that group. and He kind of has to beat out Dakota Dozier for a roster spot or prove that he can be the 10th guy. Otherwise, it's really, really difficult to find a place for him on this roster. No more can he be the kind of raw, athletic, small school guy we don't really know about at this point. He's kind of got to put put up, and that's what you get when you're, you know, pick number 253. You don't get a lot of leash. You don't get really the uh, luxury of playing out your entire rookie contract, trying to make the team in multiple training camps. It's now or never for Kyle Hinton. Before we keep going with all these Storytime series entries, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar's best tasting protein bar on the planet. It tastes like a candy bar. You like Almond Joy? You like Mounds? Well, they've got 
coconut almond and coconut respectively covered in 100% chocolate if you're not a coconut person I'm not a coconut person they got peanut butter brownie that's my favorite they got mint brownie they got chocolate raspberry cookies and cream you can even get a sampler try all the flavors get a box with two of each that's uh, actually what I recommend you know get a little variety in your life spice it up if you want to enjoy those things and they sound like candy bars but you don't have to feel guilty they're not going to knock you off the wagon they're low sugar low carb low calorie they're like four grams of sugar like 18 grams of protein high protein high fiber and they are delicious to boot so head on over to builtbar.com get a sampler box or a box of whatever flavors tends to jump out at you there might even be some specialty flavors so check back at the built bar website every once in a while builtbar.com you can enter promo code locked 15 l-o-c-k-e-d-1-5 all one word at builtbar.com you get 15 percent off of your order that's promo code locked 15 at builtbar.com Josh Mattelis grew up in Dodd County, North Miami, uh, around where like Dalvin Cook and Xavier Rhodes are from. You know, that county produces a ton of NFL players. Um, and he was really, really excelling in school as a young kid in like elementary school. He was way ahead, especially in math. Uh, so he actually gets a chance to transfer to some like acceleration programs, some like go ahead kind of, um, you know, preparatory type programs. And he ends up transferring to this middle school about 30 minutes away from where he grows up. And then from there, he got a chance to actually graduate high school early if he took this specific math program at Flanagan High School. So he ends up attending and enrolling in Flanagan High School, even though that's not like necessarily where he lived. And the reason I tell you all this is because he went to summer workouts his freshman year at Flanagan High. And that is how he met the two best friends Josh Metellus has ever had in his life. Devin Bush, uh, he of Steelers fame, and Devin Gill who is currently a grad transfer for USF. They all played at Michigan together. And the Devons were thick as thieves. Those two had been friends since, you know, they were like little kids and they spent every waking minute together. And nobody would really get like admitted into the inner circle. You know, they, of course, like hung out with people and stuff, but you couldn't be part of the pair. They had this kind of relationship that was much closer than anything like that. And a lot of it was because they were these two unbelievably driven kids, both academically and athletically. They just wanted to attack everything with everything they had. The thing is, Josh Metellus shared that quality. And so quickly the duo became a trio. And even like their parents were a little surprised by the Devon's parents were a little surprised that like they actually kind of let somebody become a trio. But pretty quick, it was Devin, Devin and Josh. So like I mentioned, it was like a, a drive to school. So it was pretty rough. And eventually Josh Metellus just started sleeping with the Gill family. Uh, one day he just like showed up with lo- roller luggage and was like, can I sleep over? And they were like, how many nights are you planning to stay? And he was like, so you can take me to school, right? And he basically from there spent like every waking moment with the, these three would spend every waking moment together. Uh, at one point, his Metellus's parents came by to pick him up and he thought they were just coming by to drop off more clothes for him. It's like, no, you have to come home, dude. And by the way, the Gills absolutely loved having the boys over. So this is all very wholesome. Uh, no, no conflict here or anything. Anything like that but the three became this like amoeba this inseparable trio this like unit built of three people very like finish each other's sentences energy so come recruiting time out of flan again the boys are on a vis- visit to michigan where willie henry and jabril peppers are the the older kids that are tasked with showing them around and they go to willie henry's dorm where uh, willie henry had a ps4 challenged the kids to Madden or 2K, either one. It was like, you pick, and I'll beat you at any of them. Um, and they all argue to this day over who won. Sounds like they, most of them agree, though, that Willie Henry's the best at the games. But there is this sense of brotherhood 
with all of that and this camaraderie and, you know, the way athletes kind of turn everything into a competition and uh, they all get along so well. So the three boys commit to Michigan uh, feeling that kind of teamwork and uh, it works out really well for, for all of them. Metellus was a starter by his sophomore year. Uh, Devin Bush was this like ascending star. Devin Gill played linebacker next to Devin Bush. So they were all playing together and there they all were playing in this like historic, you know, vaunted Michigan defense, the meat grinder days from, you know, when it was uh, like when Jabril Peppers was there and then he graduated quick, but Maurice Hurst and when Taco Charlton was there and Ben Getty and even all these guys that were these like awesome college players. Well, Devin, Devin, and Josh kind of made for the next chapter. Josh played all over the uh, the defense as well. He played mostly safety, was like kind of home base, but he played outside linebacker, nickel corner, he moved around, so there was a lot of like versatility, and he kind of touted that headed into the draft. So obviously 2019, Devin Bush gets drafted in the first round. He's like this total superstar. And in 2020, Josh Metellus gets drafted. Uh, Devin Gill is still playing. He, transfer, he did a grad transfer to USF, University of South Florida, and then 2020 happened, so he opted out. Um, but for Josh Metellus, he gets to go to Minnesota, where he has, like, this almost free chance at a roster spot. No competition, really, at all, except, like, I don't know, Nate Metters or whoever was there. Um, he's not a first-round guy like Devin Bush, but for a sixth-round guy, he gets a pretty good amount of security. And so the trio's been pretty successful up to this point. So in Minnesota, of course, now you remember how this goes, right? Josh Metellus was kind of supposed to wait in the wings, be a developmental guy, start behind Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. And while those two stayed relatively healthy, lots of injuries in the secondary kind of forced Anthony Harris to go do more stuff around the formation. And Josh Metellus actually gets thrown to the fire, probably more than the Vikings intended for him to do. But there is something to kind of learning by fire, right? There's an experience that he gets that he wouldn't have otherwise had. Uh, the three still FaceTime each other all the time. They still st stay in touch talk all the time still just as inseparable as ever even though they're all scattered across the country right now kind of cute actually uh Devin Bush and Josh Patelis will play each other this year Thursday night Steelers uh Vikings so I'm sure we'll see a fun little jer jersey swap on that one uh but now of course to ensure that he's got to make the team and there's not a ton of competition for Josh Metellus there of course you've got Smith and Woods and then you've got like Cameron Bynum and Josh Metellus probably as the chalk starting for uh, Luther Kirk and Miles Dorn are like the only other ones that like really, uh, threaten that job. So you just got to fend off a couple undrafted free agents, still like a fairly free chance at a roster spot and you make the team, you get to develop on the team. And that's a good way to, uh, kind of ensure your future in the NFL. So the pressure is not on in the same way it is for a lot of other players for somebody like Kyle Hinton, for example, for Josh Metellus. But either way, I mean, there's always some kind of pressure when you're playing in the NFL. Next up, we'll talk about Mackenzie Alexander's journey to the NFL from both improbable and probable roots. I'll explain it in a little bit. At dawn every morning in Immokalee, Florida, buses arrive at tomato farms full of laborers, mostly migrant workers from Central America, Caribbean, Guatemala, uh, Cuba, Haiti, that kind of stuff. They don long sleeves and boots to protect protect against thorny plants, and they make their way out to the fields as the sun rises. And for 14 hours in the sweltering Florida heat, these farmhands pick tomatoes, they shuffle back to the buses, and then they head to bed ready to get up at the crack of dawn, before the crack of dawn the next morning, do it all over again. It is a grueling existence, and it's the one that Jean and Marie Alexander lived for a couple of decades after migrating to the U.S. from Haiti. 
It's just the life that they know. They won't complain about it at all. If you ask them how they like it, they say they how they like it. They say that's our life. It's our existence, and we're grateful for it. You know, it's neither here nor there. It's not that it's too much work. It's too backbreaking. It's just kind of what you do, even well into their 60s. And in a way, that's kind of how the American dream manifests itself so often. You come to the United States and you make an honest living, even if it's not a glamorous or even a comfortable one. It's your living and you made it. And there's something kind of immutable about that. Um, So anyways, in 1993, the Alexanders had two twin boys, McEnroe and Mackenzie. They grew up watching their parents Uh, shuffle off to work every morning and come back sore and sweaty and tired and just having grinded and worked and left every single ounce of energy they had out there to provide for their family. And Mackenzie kind of takes that to heart. You know, they live in a Habitat for Humanity built home with an old minivan in the driveway. They live this humble existence and they work their absolute asses off to maintain it. And so that you can kind of see that with that in your life every day, with that as your inspiration, your role model to look up to, you can kind of see why Mackenzie Alexander came up with the slogan that he puts at the end of every tweet now and every post, hashtag all work is easy. If all the only barrier between me and the thing I want is hard work, then this is easy. I can do hard work. If there's nothing else to figure out but how to work hard, then it's automatic. If all it takes is elbow grease, it's easy. Um, So in high school, Alexander was not big, but he liked football. And so he wanted to play football. He would like drill his footwork in the backyard where other kids were at parties or whatever. He'd even do drills after games on Friday night. Oh, yeah, I'm big. I just means I have to work harder. That's easy. Then I'll work harder. And that that love of the work, that love of the grind, you know, it's not something that Mackenzie Alexander endures. It's something he looks forward to the process of it, not just as a means you endure to get to the end the journey itself is the destination to put a cliche on it and he would even when he was an older high school kid he would even pull freshmen and sophomores aside and he would like do drills with them and mentor them and he kind of does have this infectious leadership quality to him where guys just kind of follow him because he's clearly the guy working hardest on the field and everybody else kind of wants to be around that if they have the same dreams and uh, everybody in Imakali has those dreams. It's one of those places where it's hard to get out. There's a lot of neighborhoods around the United States where you kind of get stuck and, you know, generation after generation is, you know, goes and just works and toils in the fields. And, you know, you ask the older people and they all kind of say, well, maybe this is the generation that gets out. Maybe this is the generation that makes something more of themselves than just being farmhands for their whole life. Not that there's anything wrong with being a farmhand for your whole life. Just ask Jean and Marie Alexander. Um, But, you know, there's this hope, this dream about what's on the other side of the fence. And for the vast majority of people who do get out of Imakali, football is the avenue. And Imakali has produced a whole bunch of names you recognize. Edron James came from Imakali, Florida, uh, Brian Poole, an absolute crap ton of D1 scholarships. But a lot of those D1 scholarships, they play their ball and they come back to Imakali because it's all they know. And there is this kind of tightness to that community. When the community's been together for generations and generations and generations, I mean, it's small town America. Everybody knows everybody. And that means that that kind of is just, that's the world. So fast forward to 2011, which I would think is his sophomore, junior year, uh, the, the twins. And Dion Sanders is inducted into the Hall of Fame that year. And he gives a speech. And two boys are watching it on TV. And in that speech, Dion Sanders talks about family and his parents. And thank you, Mom, for everything. I'm so glad that I could give back to you. And 
Um, you know, it's this very impassioned speech and it really, really resonates with Mackenzie Alexander. And it kind of got him thinking like, you know, I don't want to get out of Immokalee. I don't want to do football anymore just for me. It's not about my own career and my own future. It's about everybody. It's about lifting my parents up. And, you know, you ask him about it and he says, look, they worked for 19 years for me. I can do 60 minutes on the football field for them. And it changes the motivation. It doesn't change the amount of work, but it changes the reason that he does it. And I think there's some something to, to his convictions there. But when it comes to college recruiting, um, here's the thing about Imikali. Again, it's a very tight-knit and therefore very closed-off community. And so they're kind of leery of outsiders. There's been plenty of people that have walked into Imikali trying to pull one over on the people there, trying to take advantage and exploit reporters looking for a sob story, college coaches that come in, you know, trying to recruit kids, thinking they own the place that, you know, offer a half scholarship, get a kid to come in and play, beat the crap out of their body and then kick them to the curb at the end. There's been enough of those incidents where Immokalee doesn't really trust outsiders that much. And so when Mackenzie Alexander is doing his college recruiting interviews, he's kind of clammed up and he's sort of closed off and aloof and they call him mysterious. There's a lot of articles written about Mackenzie Alexander's recruiting process back in 2013 because it was pretty dramatic. He like committed to Tennessee and then he uh, decommitted and then uh, Florida State offered his brother so everybody thought he was going to go there for a while and then and then Mississippi State and Clemson were the two front runners and eventually he does land on Clemson but a lot of schools were kind of turned off by the way that Mackenzie Alexander conducted himself when he talked to, to the coaches because he wouldn't open up he didn't trust them and he was maybe a bit standoffish uh, maybe you know not exactly the eager bright-eyed bushy-tailed kid that most of these 17 year olds are when you come in and say I'll give you a college college scholarship this is everything you've ever wanted and then they kind of all freak out Mackenzie Alexander was a lot more wary and I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way but anyways, he gets to Clemson and at Clemson, the, the hardworking nature, you know, every player works hard, right? How many of these stories have I told you where you kind of get, OK, this is where he got his work ethic. But Mackenzie Alexander's blows everybody's out of the water. And this is at Clemson. Like this is you've got work ethics at Clemson, right? But J. Ron Curse uh, was his roommate in college. And when he showed up, Mackenzie Alexander had kids doing like running hills before they even got their cleats, before they even had like signed up or. Uh, you know, gotten like talked to the coaches or anything like that. Like they hadn't even started. They were just, it was like moving into the dorms day and they were running hills. And that's just the way that Mackenzie Alexander did things. And when you just do things that way, I think especially in a football playing atmosphere, people tend to follow. And it's at Clemson where Mackenzie Alexander sort of blossoms into the like boisterous, self-assured guy that we kind of came to, to get to know when the NFL started to to look into him and at the combine presser and all that stuff where he he kind of has two speeds he has quiet head down working hard Mackenzie Alexander that's the Mackenzie Alexander you get in practice and then there's the Mackenzie Alexander you'd get if you were a wide receiver going up against him where he would talk at you and he would bark at you and you know he would talk a bunch of trash talk a big game and that's kind of the way that he played and then in practice he'd go right back down to you know head down working his ass off 
And it was that boisterousness that led to the legendary Mackenzie Alexander combine press. So you might remember it. If you don't remember it, I'll link it in the show notes because it's pretty cool. And he's really open and he's very real and genuine in it. Um, and, and that is the vibe that I always got from Mackenzie Alexander, where everything was on his sleeve. He was always genuine, always real, even if it wasn't supposed to be, you know, he wasn't supposed to be saying that he would say it because it was, you know, the way things are. But it, as rumor has it, uh, his combine interviews also go poorly. Maybe the same thing kind of sets in, you know, you talk to coaches, people evaluating you, you clam up. So he came off like, you know, confrontational and standoffish in his in his interviews. But who else would be sympathetic to uh, a good player that uh, has bad interviews. And by the way, Mackenzie Alexander, five-star recruit, and now he's a Clemson dude. He is an incredible, like, highly touted prospect this whole time. And who better to understand that kind of situation than Mike Zimmer, who botched a million interviews and, and delayed his head coaching opportunity for like a decade because he couldn't be nice in an interview. And so I, I think that probably destined him, honestly, when Mackenzie Alexander did the same thing Mike Zimmer did, and it's all just about how bad yard interviews, that kind of feels like it's just careening him toward Minnesota. And of course, the Vikings draft him in the second round. You probably remember how that started off. Zimmer and Mackenzie Alexander, headstrong and self-assured people as they are, but heads. Who would have thunk it? And it takes a while for Mackenzie Alexander to accept the difference between playing outside corner and inside corner. He views nickel as a lesser job, and he doesn't want that lesser job. And so, of course, 2016, 2017 go poorly. 2018, he the, the Vikings draft Mike Hughes. And this is yet another time where I get to tell a story about talking to Mackenzie Alexander, because in that 2018 training camp, I got to talk to him and I had a cool, really, really cool interview. It was my favorite thing that I've, I've favorite conversation I've ever had with a player. Um, where he really opened up and you could tell he had kind of had a moment where he grew up and he had matured a little bit and he had kind of come to understand the importance of the nickel corner and that it's not a sort of relegation to move from outside to inside and he bought in and Mike Hughes of course that year gets hurt six games into the season and in 2019 he rotates with Mackenzie Alexander but Alexander outplays him and in Mackenzie Alexander's eyes he's a starter. But you remember what happened at the end of 2019. Week 17 comes around. It was a meaningless game. The Vikings had already secured their playoff position, so there was nothing to play for. So all the backups went in, and so did Mackenzie Alexander, kind of communicating to him that he's a backup. And in that game, he hurts his knee, and he misses the playoffs. So he was mad about that. He didn't want to come back to Minnesota. Plays a year in Cincinnati. A year passes after that, and then, I don't know, time heals all wounds, I guess, because now here he is, and he's back. And I, I think for the first time in his time here in Minnesota, he is the nickel corner with very little competition, maybe like Bashad Breeland, but he's probably more of an outside guy. Um, you know, he's not competing with like somebody on the inside, like Terrence Newman was taking snaps from him. He's not competing with Mike Hughes. He's the guy the way he wanted to be here in Minnesota. And to put a bow on it, uh, Mackenzie Alexander tried really hard to get his parents a new house, but his parents wouldn't let him. Uh, he says he, he can barely even convince his dad to let him buy him a new cell phone. Um, so a new house is out of the question, but he paid off the house and he uh, might buy some remodels or something, or maybe he already has. And so I guess that's going to be what it is. But his parents, ever the humble workman types, and his mom doesn't work in the fields anymore. She has too many health issues. She's still working. She's selling trinkets out in the market, but she's not uh, not doing the fields anymore. Humble as they are, they're just happy to have a life and happy to have their freedom and, and, you know, be able to make their own living. 
It's the American dream. And then watch your kid go on to have, you know, star studded success. I will see you all next week. Training camp starts next week. They're reporting on Tuesday. The rookies come in. We're here. We made it. Got a few story times left to get into, and then we'll start covering training camp. So I can't wait for that. In the meantime, you can check out the Locked On Today podcast, everything in the wide world of sports under 20 minutes every morning, wherever you find your favorite shows. I will see you all next week. And as always, skull.